good afternoon. Appreciate uh, having Ben, son of Birmingham, back. That was awesome. Thanks for sharing, bro. Uh, communion with us. And uh, my family will have transitioned to Birmingham a month tomorrow. So it has been a transition for us, and I know a transition for our congregation as we're shifting in leadership. And I just want to thank all of you for making our transition very smooth. Uh, you've been so inviting and warm and accepting of our family, and we're very thankful. I know my wife and I, uh, for all that you guys have done for us already, and it's just been a month. It's already been great. Uh, we're studying out Philippians in our transition as a church. Uh, you can turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2. We'll pick up uh, where we left off uh, last Sunday here in a moment. Philippians chapter 2. It's been an exciting week. Uh, Jackie got engaged on Friday. The blushing soon-to-be bride, and uh, that was uh, exciting to celebrate Friday night. We did have a great congregational meeting Friday night. I know I saw a lot of people there. I hope to see every member there the two Fridays we do it a month. Uh, we did the A to H scale. If you don't know what that means, ask somebody who was there, and hopefully you can make it this Friday as we continue to work together as a church moving forward in this transition. Uh, we are shifting uh, in this transition as well the newsletter to a monthly newsletter. So uh, that is at the door, uh, and you can get that uh, the first uh, few weeks of every month now. Uh, the rest of uh, the announcements and things will be on our website, uh, birminghamchurch.org.uk. Uh, and then lastly, uh, before we look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, uh, I just want to remind the men in the room, you know, if, if you're a man and you have a pulse and you love Jesus in one way, shape, or form, we hope you'll show up this Saturday at 11 a.m. at Cannon Hill Park. We're going to meet at the bandstand area there, across from the, 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 the Swan area there, um, at 11 a.m., uh, and all the details are in the newsletter, and uh, Ricky's going to lead us in a sermon there, a manly sermon, calling us to be men of God, and we'll have a great time of fellowship and fun as well. Uh, that's coming up Saturday at 11 a.m. Hope to see all the men there at Cannon Hill Park. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we spent two weeks in verses 1 through 11 in chapter 2, looking at Jesus' example. Uh, the standard that he sets for us. Uh, and Paul used that example of Jesus, uh, his humility to go so far as to die on a cross uh, as, as God in flesh. Uh, but how God used that to uh, change the world and how God is still using that then to, to call the Philippians to a standard of unity and togetherness. And we were challenged as a church uh, to live out the same thing. And last Sunday we talked about having smadge, right? S-M-A-G, the, the same mindset as Jesus and how that ultimately will move us forward and keep us together as we keep adjusting our mindsets. And so Paul goes on. Uh, to call them towards some practical obedience. And so the title of this morning, this afternoon, I'll get used to that, is Keep Obeying. Keep Obeying. Let's read together here from the text in Philippians 2 and verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you can become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then, he says, I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering... On the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. 
Uh, let's look at two ways here from this text uh, to, as Paul says in verse 12, always obey. Uh, the first thing here this, uh, this afternoon is to always obey God, you've got to work it out. You've got to work it out. When we hear that phrase, work it out, many things come to mind. Obviously, some of us think of you know, working out our muscles, you know, trying to keep our six-packs and our abs going to a one-pack, you know, or whatever that, you know, whatever that may be. Maybe, maybe you're thinking, oh, man, my finances. It's the beginning of the month, and I've got to pay my bills and, and work out my budget. You know, maybe it's that fight you had on the way to church with your spouse, you know, and you're still sitting there feeling a little bit insecure with each other. Uh, work it out can have a lot of different ideas that come to mind. But here, of course, Paul's not referring to any of those things. In verse 12, he says, you need to work out your salvation to the church in Philippi. And it's an interesting phrase for us, right? Because we must be careful when we, when we use the word work and the word salvation together. Because the Bible is very clear. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, Paul in another letter said, It is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so Paul's made it very clear in other letters, we're not saved by our works. But somehow he talks about working out our salvation once we have received it here to the church in Philippi. What does this mean, right, is the question. And it's an important theological question uh, to consider. Well, I think the text itself gives us some insight. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, you know, that's the context of that phrase. He talks about having fear and trembling uh, before God. And, and that's uh, a connotation, an idea that we naturally, uh, in, in the 21st century, uh, don't always necessarily take, take welcome to this idea of fearing God, this idea of trembling at this holy and mighty God. Uh, the Jews, uh, the first people to know God in history, they feared God so much, they would not even say His name. They made up a name for the name of God, so they would not say his name improperly ever. And so the Jews, they, they, they fear God so much they would not even say his name. And yet in our culture today, we use God's name in vain all the time in many ways. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's a filler at the end of a sentence. Uh, you know, it, it's used in so many ways flippantly uh, and, and, and unashamedly in the wrong way. And so the idea of a fear of God in this day and age is kind of a, a hard concept for us to grasp. Uh, in, our, in, in our culture and in these times. In all our advancement and technology, we get bigger and God gets smaller, at least in our minds. So this is a good thing for us to consider, uh, this idea of how we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You know, what if we really saw God right now? What if we really saw God for who He was and all that He is, clearly and completely? What would our response be? There's a few accounts of men in the Bible who did just that. They got a glimpse of God, and, they, and it says they felt like they were dead. They were overwhelmed. They said, take me now. You know? And so there would be some healthy fear. There would be some trembling if we really saw God fully and completely as we should. But oftentimes that fear we equate as something as, as, as negative. But if you think about it, yeah, sometimes fear is a negative thing. I have a fear of deep water. Anyone here uncomfortable in deep water? Yeah, quite a few people. That's, that's probably a normal fear if you don't grow up in water a lot. And you know, I was uh, you know I was in the ocean uh, snorkeling in, in Fiji uh, a while back when I was in the South Pacific, and I was on the edge of this you know beautiful reef, and I'm looking at all the fish. But to the left, you know, the reef, you know, the sand drops, and it's just dark, deep blue. 
And I was out there for about an hour, and every two seconds, I just kept looking to my left. I could never really enjoy finding Nemo because there was just deep blue water over there to my left the whole time. It, it was a real fear, and probably, you know, an exaggerated fear because there aren't really big sharks in that area, and I didn't really need to worry about that, but I just couldn't get over the thought that, you know, thinking of the movie Jaws and what's going to happen next. And so that's probably a, a negative example of fear in my own life. I should have enjoyed it more than I did perhaps that day in the water. But there's also a side of fear that's really healthy and really good. When I get up really high and I'm kind of uh, at, at the point where I may fall off that cliff, that's a good fear. If I don't have that fear, I may fall off the cliff and die. Uh, and, and so on and so forth. And, and, and so all fear is, is negative and, and, and positive depending on how we see it and how we use it. And Paul here, of course, is referring to a good kind of fear. He says that fear and trembling are good for us because it helps us to work out, work out our salvation. You know, I think of Proverbs 1, verse 7. The writer there says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that's interesting that if we fear God, that might be a start for us to then try to know who God is. But of course, we can't, we can't stop at just the fear of God, and we can't stop at knowledge. Uh, the New Testament then goes on to, to take that fear and to finish it off, right? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, John says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Five times the Psalms connect God's love to those who fear Him. And so, so fear is not the finish line. Fear is not the destination, but fear might be the starting line for us. The finish line is God's love. The, the finish line is the, is the grace of God and all that that brings to our lives. But the fear of God might help us. It might help us to start that journey. And without really fearing God, we may not ever want to know God. And if we don't ever know God, we won't be overwhelmed by His love and by His grace and thus find our salvation. So that's what I think Paul is, is, is indicating a bit here when he makes this statement about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And you can go to the New Testament. Jesus, you know, He came full of grace and truth, but His disciples, they, they, they loved Him. They, they were close to Him, but they, they also feared Him. They also had a healthy understanding of who he was and what he was about. Um, a modern illustration of this that's relevant to this area and relevant to our modern times is, is C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis, you know, of course, was a, a professor at Oxford University just, just down the road here. Uh, and he uh, got this picture from Revelation 5 uh, where it refers to Jesus as the Lion of Judah. And so... C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, and the main character in the Chronicles of Narnia is Aslan, right? It's this, it's this mighty lion. And Aslan represents Jesus, uh, you know, in this, in this, this series of, of, of stories. And there's this great part in, in, in the Chronicles of Narnia. It's Christian allegory, right? And so there's this great part uh, where two of the human characters in the story, Susan and Lucy, are getting ready to meet Aslan, the lion, for the first time, who represents Christ. And two talking animals, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, as they're called, prepare the children, it says, uh, for the encounter. And it, and it reads in Chronicles of Narnia, Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting the lion. That you will, dearie, said Mrs. Beaver. And make no mistake, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. 
Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I love that picture that, that Lewis tries to paint, and I believe it's the picture that the New Testament tries to paint, and Paul's trying to paint here, is that, is that yes, God is good. God is loving. God is gracious. But God, is, you know, he, he's that lamb, but God is also just. God, you know, God is also sovereign. God is also all-powerful. And so, yes, sometimes he is the lion. And, and, and we can start with the, with, with, with the lion, and eventually we get to the land sometimes. And that's what Paul, I think, here is trying to, to help the church in Philippi understand. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not a negative statement at all. It's a very positive statement because that fear can help us to find that knowledge of God and then thus understand how much he loves us because God, the New Testament says, is love. To keep obeying, we must continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But Paul, of course, goes on, and this is the really encouraging part about this passage. He says, for, for in verse 13, it is God who works in you. We got to work out our salvation, but the good news is it's really not even about what we do. It's about what God does as we attempt to work out our salvation once we are saved. You know, it's a dual nature statement. You know, you got to work out your salvation, Paul says, but God's going to work, work it out in you as you choose to do that. And that's that balance that's always difficult to have as a Christian. So wait, is it, is it, is it all about me or is it all about God? Well, Paul kind of, kind of seems to indicate it's a, little bit, it's a little bit about us and a lot about God. We must choose to obey God. We must choose to accept His call. But once we do that, pitifully, poorly, good, bad, awesome, and all, all in between of those things, God works out our salvation for us. He works through the good, the bad, and the ugly in our lives to complete our salvation. Our salvation, when we become a Christian, is the beginning of that but it's not worked out yet. It's not completed yet until Christ returns. And so God, through our, our, our little feeble efforts, and that's what they are, whatever works we decide in the name of Christ to do, God starts to then work out our salvation. Because it's all about God and His love and His grace. It's not, it's not about us. It's not about us, right? So my interpretation of this is, is we must work out what God has already worked in. It's already there. He set us up. Our salvation is secure in Christ, but now we must work that out as we move forward in Christ. And you know, we're all a few bad decisions away from walking away from that decision to work out our salvation. You know, we are all just a few bad decisions away from quitting on Christ. And this is the good news here to me is, I cannot lose unless I quit. That's the, that's the good news that a Christian has. That's the good news that we can have today as Christians. No matter how we're doing, good or bad or somewhere in between, we cannot lose unless we quit. So why would we quit if God has set it up that way? Yeah, we may feel like we should be running and we're crying, but, 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 but don't quit on your Bible study. Yeah, we may feel like we should be sprinting, but we're, we're, we're just lying down rolling to get toward the finish line, but don't quit on your prayer life. Yeah, we struggle in our relationships and our marriages and our one another relationships, but, but don't quit because God works. He works through the good and the bad that we share together. He works out our salvation as we continue to give our lives to Him and obey Him. It's as simple as that. Christianity is a marathon, not a sprint, right? And it takes that kind of spiritual toughness 
a kind of understanding with our emotions and the obstacles and the challenge that, yeah, things maybe don't look good right now, but, but God is going to continue to work in my life. And so perhaps the harder word here in this passage is not fear, it's continue. Continue to work out your salvation. Don't quit. God is working. We are working out our salvation. Uh, the struggle, it will be worth it. Might be another way to think about it. Whatever that struggle that you're going through right now is, it will be worth it. Don't quit on God. He will not fail us. He will come through. And we've just read this wonderful hymn in verses 6 to 11 that illustrates just that. Jesus went so far as to die a, a, a horrible death on a cross, and yet in the end he was listening to the highest place. And now every, every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow to Jesus as Lord. And again, that's the picture that, that Paul is calling them to, and that's the picture he's calling us to, to hang on no matter what. That's what it means to work out your salvation. You may be spiritually flabby in this process. You may be spiritually weak in this process. It may spiritually look like you're going the other way. But hang on. Don't give up. Don't quit on God. And He will continue to work out His salvation in our lives. So work it out is the first point here. And second, finally, this afternoon, light it up. We've got to work it out, and we've got to light it up. As they're working it out, Paul then goes on to give them a wonderful picture of the kind of people God intends for them to be. Uh, verses 14 through 16, right? He says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul says that we are to shine like stars. It's a statement of potential. There, there's some potential spiritual luminosity in us all. And we're not talking about light bulbs here. We're talking about giant supernovas. He says you can shine like stars in the universe. You can light up this dark world through and in Christ. You know, shine like a star. It's a great phrase. And science, you know, helps us better understand the potential of that statement. Uh, we, of course, live on the earth. Uh, this is the earth drawn to scale as compared to the sun. You can fit about a million of the planet earths in their size inside the sun. The sun is just an average star when you compare all the stars in the universe, uh, you know, but it makes up 99.8% of the whole mass of our solar system. That's how massive the sun is. And like I said, you can fit a million planet earths inside the sun around which we orbit. It is a very hot star. Uh, we can feel that heat, right, on a sunny day. Even in England, amen, we can feel that heat. You stay out there too long and it burns you, right? But it's, it's you know, it's, it's 92 million miles away, yet it, yet it burns our skin, right? Because it's 15 million degrees centigrade. That's how hot uh, the sun is in its core. It's very powerful. All of life, all of life on this planet is because of the physically because of the sun, scientifically speaking. Of course, it's ultimately because of God. Uh, but, but the sun, without the sun, you have, you have no plant life. Without plant life, you have no animal life. And, and so all that is alive on this planet, you know, six billion people, how many animals, I don't even know, how many plants is because of this powerful sun. To try to reproduce the power of the sun, 
You'd have to detonate 100 billion tons of dynamite every second to try to duplicate the power, the power of the sun. It's massive, it's bright, it's powerful, but it's an average star as far as brightness and luminosity. Some stars have been found uh, to be 600,000 times brighter than our sun. 600,000 times brighter than that. Uh, and, and, and one star is quite large. This is actually a pixel. The sun now in this picture is represented as a pixel up there on the left that you cannot even see on my slide. One of the largest stars here, uh, Canis Majoris, that's the kind of the, the ratio of, of this size star to the sun. Canis Majoris, you could put 9 billion, 261 million suns, our suns, inside of that star. That's one of the largest stars that's ever been recorded uh, through astronomy. That, that's some serious shining right there, Canis Majoris, right? The world, it's, it's just getting darker. Read the news, you know, catch the headlines. And the church needs to get brighter and brighter. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And Paul here calls us to be that, to shine like stars. You know, how do we do that, though, is always the challenge, isn't it? Uh, how, do we, how do we even dare to be like the sun, let alone Canis Majoris? Well, Paul gives us two great insights here, of course, in the text. The first thing here in verse 14 is he says we need to have a bright attitude. The way we think our attitude keeps showing up right uh, in Paul's letter. No wonder rejoice is a huge thing, because that, that was Paul's attitude in life, rejoice, because of what he had in Christ. He says in verse 14, do everything, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Uh, grumbling in the Greek, it's, it's, it's a murmur, and it's, it's kind of a quiet, it's kind of a quiet complaint. It's not necessarily something you would hear, but it's just kind of when you know, someone speaks under their breath, and you, you kind of know something's not right, but you don't quite know what it is. Uh, that's what the Greek language kind of kind of indicates. You know, I tried since last night to to not grumble, and it was very difficult. I, in light of this pattern, I thought, I got to not do this, you know. But it's just so easy, right? It's so easy to fall uh, into that pattern. And, and as soon as we start to do that as Christians, we start to dim our spiritual light, don't we? It says no arguing. Arguing here, it's literally a dialogue in the Greek. It could be internal or external. Um, and, and so again, you know, we, we have these, these, these complaints and these back and forths all the time in our hearts and our minds and, and even with each other. And as soon as we start to, to argue, not, not discuss, not relate back and forth, but argue our, our, our light, our light starts to dim, right? And I, I had the privilege of, of working with churches in Fiji and Papua New Guinea uh, when I was serving the churches in Australia and the South Pacific uh, the last four years. That's where we served before we were here. And I had the opportunity to go to uh, Papua New Guinea. Um, and Papua New Guinea is, is, is kind of north, as you're looking at the map, you look at Australia, uh, it'd be this way, but for me it's, it's, it's no northeast of Australia. It's a, it's a huge island, tropical place, and uh, it's very poor. Uh, one, one, one of the toughest, toughest places, they say, to, to preach the gospel, one of the toughest places to live in the world uh, is Papua New Guinea. And I got to go there several times and encourage our churches. We have one of the most remote churches in our whole family of churches there in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. And I went to one of the churches on the way to the highlands of Papua New Guinea, on the edge of the highlands there on one of my trips. And this is uh, some photos from that trip. We started on a plane down there on the right in Port Moresby. Uh, we took a, you know, it, it was about a, you know, I think... 
two, three hour flight. You know, we had to get there really early in the morning. We, we got on the flight. It was delayed. Uh, we packed in there. You know, the AC wasn't working. We fly. You know, we, we land on the, you know, on, on the tarmac there. And we get out. And we have to wait a long time for our stuff. We get all of our stuff. We all piled into this Land Cruiser here down, you know, on the left there. And uh, we had all this stuff we were bringing because our, our church is in, in Goomini is where I was visiting. We have a Hope Clinic there that serves about 40,000 people. It's the only medical anything in that whole area, 40,000 people. We have a little clinic with two nurses. That's all they have. So every time we go up there, we bring them lots of medical supplies and you know, stuff because they're, they're just very poor. And so we have this Land Cruiser full of stuff. Uh, one of the Hope directors also brought her mother and her, her baby there. And so we've got like tiling there over my legs. I'm in the back right there. We've got all of our stuff. We've got a baby. We've got a grandmother. And, and we're driving five hours on these mountainous roads. I should have gotten a picture of the roads for you. Because you're literally on the edge of a cliff. Bumpy roads. A lot of it's not paved for five hours. So it was about a 12-hour journey from Port Moresby until we got to the church in Goomini that night. And needless to say, there was a little bit of grumbling and complaining going on in my heart, you know, about traveling that way. The last two hours of, of the trip, uh, you know, my, 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 my seat, you know, my personal seat was falling asleep because it was just so cramped and so uncomfortable. It was the most uncomfortable travel I've ever had in my life. And I didn't have the best attitude about the travel, but I got there, put on my best face for the brothers and sisters. They were so ecstatic to see us. The church there in Goomini, about 30 disciples of Jesus and they're really changing that community. It's, it's quite fascinating. Pray for them. Uh, but what was more convicting wasn't the warm greetings from the brothers and sisters in Goomini. Uh, Michael and Matthias showed up later that night. Now you'll see Matthias here on the right with the striped shirt. Matthias is barefoot. They are part of the church in Calvary, which is another 10-hour walk. There are no roads through the mountains. So Matthias and Michael heard brothers were visiting from Sydney. They walked 10 hours through the night barefoot, uh, Matthias on the right, just to get some fellowship. Then I was really convicted about my grumbling and complaining about my heart. These guys read it for, for fine for me that, you know, the, the, uh, how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Uh, they really did. Um, you know, often we're focused on the journey rather than the destination. You know, in, in everything, you know, we, we should be grateful or convicted that we are not. And if we could just have that gratitude, like Paul says over and over in this letter, if we could just rejoice in all things, you know, we, we, we can shine like a star. Because that's not our human nature. But that's what a Christian can do. They can, they can bring light into any situation. Matthias and Michael, they weren't complaining about their journey. They were just so excited to have more fellowship in Christ. As Christians, we can, we can really shine. We can light up our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our schools with the right, bright attitude. And the other way here we can shine like stars uh, is we got to follow the bright way, right? He goes on here in the text uh, in verse uh, 16. He then talks about how we have to hold firmly, hold firmly to the word of life. You know, it's an interesting phrase, the, the word of life. Jesus himself said in John 6, Verse 63, he said, The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. You know, we talk about with our children sometimes about needs versus wants. It's a good lesson to learn as you're growing up, right? You know, uh, there are only a few things you really need to live. And a lot of what we go after is just wants, right, uh, in life. And spiritually, it's true as well. There are only a few things we really need to live. And of course, one of those here that's very clear is we need the Word of God 
to live spiritually. We need the Word of God, but it's not just the knowledge of the Word. The phrase, of course, is, is, is hold firmly, hold firmly, hold firmly to the Word of life. Um, you know, the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees, they knew, they knew the Scriptures better than we ever will. Yet, yet they didn't hold to it. They, they knew it, but they didn't apply it right uh, in their lives. And so, really the challenge for me as I think about my, my attitude and, and my light shining is, 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 do I let the Word really fuel me every day? Is the Word really what's guiding my path? Because as I said, the world is a, it's a, it's a dark place. The psalmist wrote about it, right, in Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. You know, we are lacking many things every day, but the word can help us on our way to keep things bright, to keep things clear, to keep things moving forward no matter what. Yes, the darkness, it will creep in. But darkness is not actually a physical property. Darkness is simply the absence of light. If you study physics, darkness is simply the absence of light physically. And spiritually, it's no different. The darkness, it, it seems like it's creeping in, but we can quickly push it back with the light. You know, maybe we're lacking faith. You know, our, our faith can get dark quickly, right? As we get discouraged, as life has its challenges. But I think of Romans 10, 17. Faith comes through hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. You know, maybe sometimes we lack joy. But Jesus said in John 15, verse 10, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this, that you may, your joy may be complete. That your joy might be complete if you just hold to His words and obey them. Sometimes we feel like we need more truth in our life. Sometimes we feel like we need more freedom. Well, Jesus said in John 8, verses 31 to 32, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth. you no longer be a sucker. And the truth will set you free. You'll no longer be enslaved. No matter what we are missing, as darkness grows, we, we have to hold on to the word of life. But oftentimes, as it starts to get dim, as the brightness in our life starts to fade, we don't run to the word of life. We don't run to God on our knees in prayer. We, we oftentimes run to other things, and, and, and it just adds to the darkness rather than bringing in the light. We've got to hold on to the word of life to shine like stars in this dark universe. Uh, this is the Ohio State University. I grew up in this state in Ohio. You, don't need, you probably don't know this. That's why I gave you the picture. Um, and they have a really great tradition here uh, at the Ohio State University. Uh, this, is, this is called the Oval here. And, and at the top of the screen on your left is the library. And the tradition is, is if you walk all the way up the Oval with your, your significant other holding hands, you'll be together forever. It's a lovely tradition. And so I was actually doing uni ministry there with my wife, now wife Mandy, and I wanted to propose to her. And uh, so I heard about this tradition. I thought, that's what I'll do. I'll get her to hold hands all the way up the oval. And then at the end of the oval, I'll pop down on one knee and I'll ask her. And I'll tell her about the tradition before I do it. So I had my plan all together. And, and I was nervous as all get out that day. I had the ring and my palms were literally sweating. Because I was so nervous. I can't remember the last time I was that nervous and my palms sweated. Uh, and so, you know, we're going up the oval there. And I'm just trying to, you know, shoot the breeze with her and talk about whatever. And we're holding hands, you know. And she notices my palms are really sweaty. 
And so she literally goes, are you okay? Your, your palms are really sweaty. I was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm sorry. Maybe I just washed my hands, didn't dry. I don't know. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I, you know, I'm good. And, and she literally tries to let go of my hand to wipe off her hand. And I just held on to her pinky finger while she wiped off her hand on, you know, on, on her pants because I didn't want to let go. This is all part of my plan to get down on one knee and, and, and ask her to be my bride. And so I held on to that pinky finger. Although, you know, she was grossed out, I was not going to let go. Because I had a plan and I was going to stick to it. And he used to say, I did not let go. And I put that line in there and got down on one knee and praise God, she said yes. And that mentality is how we should be with the Word of God. Yes, the darkness is going to come. It might be in your heart right now. But don't let go of the Word of Life. Don't forget about the light that it can bring in your walk with God. Yes, we struggle to be close to God. Yes, we struggle to understand His grace. Yes, we struggle to bring His truth into our lives. But don't let go of His Word. Yes, we struggle in our relationships. Yes, we struggle through life. But, but his, his, his Word, His Word can brighten the way. His Word can push back the darkness. But we must hold on to it no matter what. It's bright in here today already. I should have wore sunglasses. It's just spiritually always bright when I walk into the Birmingham church. But we can have more and more of that life. More and more of that light in our lives because Christ is the light. It's borrowed light. We're like the moon. We're just a rock. But when the Son of God shines upon us, we can light up the night sky just like that moon. When the sun shines upon it. And I think we've got to stop settling for the lies that Satan feeds us. Satan, Satan tells us, you know, yeah, you're a light, but you're just, like a little, you're just like a little stick. You know, a little matchstick that has a little flame, right? You know, Satan often tries to make us think that we are this on the right. But biblically speaking, we're this on the left. So let's not settle as Christians for being little matchsticks when God has called us to be spiritual supernovas. Because it's all about Christ making us bright. It's all about Christ bringing His light more and more into our lives as we have that right attitude. As we make those decisions to be obedient to Him, He will continue to light up our lives and change our lives as He already has. If you're visiting with us today, friends, uh, thank you for joining us today. You probably too are bothered by the darkness in this world. It's everywhere. It's all around us. But I'm here to tell you today, you know, God has a plan for you to become a spiritual supernova in this life and change that. But you've got to find salvation in Christ to become that light. Politics, whatever else you want to run to, is not, is not going to push back the darkness. Only Jesus can push back the darkness. And it starts with you finding your salvation first and allowing Christ to light up your life. And we as a church, we understand how to do that and how to find that. And we want to share that with you. So please let us know how we can help you to find that salvation if you have not yet. So that you too can join us in lighting up this world for Christ. Let's not settle for being a match in this life. We could all be a spiritual giant supernova. Church friends, let us go this week and be inspired to keep obeying. Work it out, light it up. And the Birmingham Church of Christ said, Amen. Thank you.